Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Well, good morning, and welcome to the to Church of the Redeemer. Uh, as Benjamin said, my name is Jason Myers. Uh, I'm glad that you're here to worship with us today, whether out in the greenhouse uh, or online. Uh, if you've been with us the past several weeks, you can see the sermon series graphic uh, on the screen or on your uh, TVs. We've been going through a series called Restore, where we've been looking at the readings from the Psalms in our lectionary this season. And one of the things that kind of jumped out to us as we were designing this series is that all the Psalms uh, in this Advent season uh, have the word restore in them. And something about that just seemed appropriate for the moment we're in right now as we're looking, I'm sure, for restoration uh, on many fronts. Uh, I hope that during this series so far that you've been encouraged and awakened to this new reality uh, that God uh, is listening and that God is active and that God wants to restore And that as we navigate our often complex lives, lives that are filled with disappointment and heartache, that we can cry out to God and ask him to restore. Uh, Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you just uh, for the time you've given us to gather uh, in just these new ways uh, online uh, at a distance. God, we pray that in these times where where we feel isolated, where we feel disconnected, that we would feel uh, your spirit among us, connecting us and uniting us. Uh, as your body. God, we pray as we look at your word today in Psalm 126 that you would speak to us, that you would open our hearts, and that you would empower our hands and our feet uh, to be the people you've called us to be. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, does anyone remember road trips or plane travel? I know it's been a while, uh, but one of the things I used to do when I used to get on airplanes is I would make sure that my phone was loaded up with a bunch of songs because when I flipped it over to airplane mode, I wanted to make sure that I had a bunch of music to listen to because one, I just love music and I hate being bored. Um, and so I would load up my phone with a bunch of music and I would have songs for, for my journey. I'd have songs for the hour flight, the eight hour flight, however long it would be, uh, whether I was in a car or on a plane. And there's just something about having music or a soundtrack uh, for the journey. In fact, there are some pretty famous journey songs. No, not the band songs, because we can get that out of the way. Um, There's some pretty famous journey songs, like uh, Life is a Highway, whether the Cochrane version or the Cars version, depending on your age, you might resonate more with one of those. Uh, Maybe it's U2's Beautiful Day, right? You're out on a highway and you're just blasting that song. Uh, Maybe it's the Proclaimers, I Would Walk 500 Miles, Detecting a theme here. I don't know what word to say next. These are all, I'm going to go with classic songs. Um, I was trying to think of some more recent ones and couldn't, couldn't find any. But why do we enjoy these songs? What is it about them that when we get in a car, when we get on a plane, we press play? There's something about these songs because they narrate something about our movements, right? They kind of, they kind of match and align us. And you may be wondering, okay, what does any of this have to do with Psalm 126? It's kind of a stretch, right? Well, you might notice in your Bibles, if you're reading on your devices, that there's a line right at the beginning of the psalm. And that psalm says that it's a song of ascent. A song of ascent. Now, what is a song of ascent? You see, this psalm was one of ancient Israel's original songs for the journey. It was a song for the road trip. In fact, they have a lot of them. 
Psalms 120 through 134 are all called songs of ascent. And this is when travelers uh, to Jerusalem would sing songs as they ascended to the city. Because from almost anywhere in ancient Israel, and even to obviously today, you go up to get to Jerusalem. You ascend the holy hill, as it's called. So you might want to picture uh, Jesus in the gospel stories. When they're coming down from the Sea of Galilee, they would ascend to the Mount of Jerusalem. They and many other Israelites for hundreds of, hundreds of years would have been singing these psalms of ascent, these psalms, these songs for the journey. And this would have been one option that they had. Now, of course, they couldn't download those onto a device. They had to do this ancient thing called memorize them. And so these are the songs that were reverberating you know, in their heads as they went to the city. And so today, I want to look at one of those songs of ascent, and it's Psalm 126. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your devices, some of the passages will be on the screen. Uh, as we begin, Psalm 126 is a little confusing, and I want you to see it. There's a, there's a graphic on the, on the screen, and it's verses 1 and verse 4. I've put them together so that you begin to see the confusion a little bit here. Here's the confusion. The same line is repeated, but just in a slightly but important way. Do you notice the difference? In, in verse 1, the psalmist said, when God, or when the Lord, restored the fortunes of Zion. Uh, but then in verse 4, the psalmist says, restore our fortunes, future tense. Uh, so which is it here? What's going on? Has God restored the fortunes of the singer, or has he not? The song has two parts, verses 1 through 3, and verses 4 through 6. Verses 1 through 3 are all about the past, and verses 4 through 6 are all about what I would call the immediate future. And so there's this tension in the psalm that we're going to kind of explore this morning. And there's a word I want us to remember as we go through the sermon, and that's the word incomplete. The, the sense here in the psalm is that something is, in, is incomplete or not entirely finished. The idea that God has done something in the past, but that he also needs to do it again. It's not finished yet. He has restored, but he needs to continue to restore. The poet has this feeling of, of incompleteness, and it's what inspires this song. Maybe that's where you find yourselves this morning. Anything incomplete in your life right now? I'm not talking about house projects or final papers for school although those are important, we got to get those finished up, but like core stuff, like the really big stuff that's incomplete. Relationships are broken. People are estranged from us. The virus has done really weird things, I think, to all of our relationships. Maybe we have a difficult conversation that was left unfinished, a painful thing, a painful event that still needs healing. That sense of incompleteness can dominate our lives, too. And I think what happens is that we tell ourselves a story that kind of goes like this. We have uh, kind of one big problem in our lives and our difficulties, something that we're facing. And sometimes we can be so focused in on that that we might say something like, God, if you would just fill in the blank, then I'd be okay. God, if you would just help me get this job, then my life would be 
fine. I'd be completed. I'd be restored. God, if you could just get me into that college I need to go to, bring me that person I'm supposed to be with for the rest of my life, then I'd be set. I'd be happy. I'd be complete, restored, right? Maybe it's not even things that we want. Maybe it's painful situations that need restoration. God, if you would just relieve me of this pain caused by this person, I would fill in the blank. Where do we find ourselves this morning? That sense of incompleteness might speak to us. The, one of the problems with that type of story, God, if you would just then, things would be great, is that it boils down our lives to one or two kind of big problems that if resolved, we would just live kind of happily ever after and that we really only need God in those big issues. The rest we can handle on our, on our own. We got this. But wonder with me, what if that story wasn't true? What if life was more problematic at its core than we make it out to be? What if we needed God for more than just those big issues? I think the poet, the writer of this psalm, has that sense of honesty before God that acknowledges this reality. That life's complex and the psalms throughout remind us that God is great and good and faithful but we do not always experience that goodness and greatness in our daily lives. It's an affirmation we can make, but it's oftentimes something we might not necessarily believe. Even more, the writer of this psalm shows us that we are in constant need of restoration by God. There's this incompleteness that continues to mark our lives. As many of you know, I get to spend a lot of time with college students and some post-college students. And one of the conversations I've had numerous times over the years, it's kind of becoming um, frequent, more frequent, is that what questions we face in our lives are always changing. And some of those questions are the same, depending on where you're at in, in life. And one of the conversations that continues to be had is that those questions are constantly evolving and changing. Then in some sense, the questions I had when I was 18 are not the same ones that I have today. Some of those things have been resolved. Some of those things have found completion or restoration. However, I have new problems and new situations and new difficulties, some of which I couldn't foresee, even at the time, that I'm confronting and still need God in the midst of. And so what the psalmist does here through this uh, dissonance between past restoration and restore us again is it gives us permission to have these types of conversations. It's okay, the psalmist says, to look at your present reality and say, God, I have some big issues and some small issues and just issues in general that I need you to help me with. My life is incomplete right now. And so the outlook of the psalm works against this story that we tell ourselves about how our problems, our difficulties are minimal. What we find is that God is in the midst of all of this and he'd love to play a part. And so what we look at is that the psalmist invites us into this conversation. We can look to past events and see God's faithfulness. But oftentimes the present time is marked by, God, marked by a deep sense of confusion by sorrow, and a need to cry out to God to restore. This is, seems to be what the psalmist experienced. 
And so what we're seeing here is that in the psalm, the past and the present do not match up. They are different. God's faithful actions in the past are absent in, in the current situation of the singer. And we think we know a little bit about the place from which the author writes this psalm. You may not have noticed this, but today's psalm is, uh, as we said, Psalm 126. And for all the math majors, that's Psalm 126 out of 150. Or to put it another way, it comes right near the end of the book of Psalms. And the psalm seems to spring from a period in the life of ancient Israel that is marked by deep, deep confusion about God's provision and his restoration. And we know a bit about what this experience was like from some other books in our Old Testament. In fact, if you have some time later today, I would encourage you to go read Ezra 1 or Nehemiah 9. You see, these are prophets that help the people return to the land after exile. And this psalm appears to arise out of those experiences in this period of history of ancient Israel. You see, the exiled people of God had received good news. It's the message you get to go back home. Exile is ending. And it's most likely what prompted the first three verses of Psalm 126. When God restored our fortunes, when God restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with a song of joy. This is that moment when God restores and the author is like, it was like a dream. It's like we couldn't believe what was happening. Like, are we awake right now? This is too good to be true. And on that sense, they, they have this uh, exclamation that they are filled with laughter and shouts of joy. Shouts of moments of happiness and, and completeness and restoration. And these are those deep moments of God's faithfulness. And this is one of those times. They confidently sing that God has restored us. He put things back together and we were glad. In fact, these events are so remarkable. It says in verse 3 that other people noticed. That even the other nations stopped and looked and saw what had happened. They shout, the Lord has done great things for us. And this is that moment of rejoicing over the faithfulness of God and a celebrating of who he is in that radical provision. And it's remarkable. But we would be naive, though, if we thought that this was the end of the story, right? There's still another half of the psalm to go. In the story that, in the story that Israel was telling itself, there was this sense, I think, that if we could just get back from exile, then everything will be okay. God, if you do this, then we will be complete. And it's those stories that we tell ourselves that, expect, that shape our expectations and our desires, it's that prayer of God, just get me out of this mess that surely but subtly communicates that we only need God in those problems. The second half of the psalm says that the, the problem was bigger than Israel thought. And that's the second half of the psalm where the tone changes dramatically. What happened in the in-between? What happened between those verses? Well, life back in the land was not as joyous as Israel thought. It hadn't worked out as planned. Again, the stories in Ezra and Nehemiah 9 go on to show that this story does not end happily ever after. But new questions and new problems arise. And this is probably what prompts verse 4 of Psalm 126. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. 
Don't miss this. The psalm sings of God's faithfulness and the need for restoration in the same song. God can be faithful and we can also look for restoration in the same breath. The psalm invites us to do that. That tension is crucial because it helps us avoid two kind of dangers. Number one, sometimes we can only see the wrong that surrounds us. And, or we pendulum swing to the other end and we dismiss the brokenness that's around us. The faithful posture, I think, is holding both together. Of acknowledging where God's restoration has and is taking place, while still acknowledging that there are places in our world, places in our communities, places in our lives and our families that are still broken. We don't have to dismiss one or the other. We actually understand this a bit better than we think of how to hold that faithful posture, of how to sing a psalm like 126. It's not as confusing as we might imagine. In fact, we just did it. We sang a familiar song. Our tradition at Redeemer is to sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, each Advent. And that psalm embodies the tension of Psalm 126. O come, O come, Emmanuel, in one sense, that's already happened. Emmanuel came and was born in the first century, and we celebrate his birth each Christmas season. Yet we continue to sing this song, despite that historical reality, we sing it in a different sense. We want Emmanuel to come again. Because restoration is not complete. It's been started, but it hasn't been finished. And that's the idea right here in this psalm. It's the, it's the theology of O come, O come, Emmanuel. God, you have restored. We need you to continue to restore. And so the song can reflect on restoration as if it were like a dream fulfilled and still find places where restoration is needed. And what if the psalm, what if the story of Israel tells us something about the story we find ourselves in today? I think it's easy to say that, we're all, that we are all eagerly uh, anticipating a vaccine to the COVID virus. And if you've been paying attention to your news alerts, right, just this morning, the first doses rolled off the lines here in our country. And maybe you've had that moment thinking about the vaccine where you've begun to dream again. Uh, I did this recently. Uh, on my phone, there's this thing. It, it reminds me of pictures I've taken over the years. It's kind of fun, but also in COVID pandemic times, also a little depressing. Um, but it did this a couple weeks ago. I have a picture up on the screen. It reminded me of a trip Lisa and I took a few years ago. Uh, this is California, and it's absolutely beautiful. And this picture came up, and, and I began to dream again. In fact, I told some people uh, a little bit uh, audaciously that as soon as I can get on, on a plane again, I am booking tickets, and we are going back there. We are going back. Because that was such a good memory. I started to dream about traveling again. Starting to make that soundtrack for the journey one more time, right? All songs about California. Maybe you're doing some dreaming in this season too with that good news that's coming. Maybe you're dreaming about getting back together with family because it's been a really, really long time. Maybe you're dreaming about having a normal classroom to teach in again because that's what makes you passionate and that's what really invigorates your teaching and it's been really, really hard to be online. 
Maybe you're dreaming as I am of regular childcare again, of consistency with that. Or maybe you're just dreaming for the ability to just have a big group hug. I don't know. Whatever you're dreaming of. We're looking forward to that, I would say, small R restoration of life that will be coming in the spring or the summer or the early fall. But, you know, Dan reminded us a couple of weeks ago, and I think it was really important that this isn't going to be the end of our problems. It's going to be the end of some of our problems, but not all of them. I hate to break it to us. The problems are still there. COVID didn't eliminate any of these things. It just pushed them to the side. So we still got to see the problems that are still around us that are going to come flooding back. COVID didn't eliminate racism. It's still there in the criminal justice system, in our educational systems, in our streets, in our society. It's still there. It hasn't gone anywhere. COVID didn't eliminate crippling poverty. In fact, it just increased it. COVID didn't end family fights or big decisions about your future or questions about who you are and what you're doing. COVID didn't eliminate any of those things. It just delayed them. And they're going to come flooding back. As much as a vaccine will restore some immediate things, there are still some long-term problems that we need to face both personally and nationally. They are not fixed. They're still in need of restoration, whether we have a vaccine or not. And so the psalm instructs us, even in this moment of rejoicing of restoration, that we need to cry out that we are in constant need of God for him to be always at work. And this way, the psalms tell us that better story than we're able to tell ourselves, a true story of the world. They say that the problems that we face are much bigger than we imagine, But the actual good news is that the God we cry out to is ever-present with us. He is Emmanuel. The Psalms also do another thing. They help us anticipate hardship. They prepare us. They they form us to, to acknowledge that hardships come. How? Because the Psalm knows that our life and our problems and our laments and our difficulties are seasonal. And I use that word pretty specifically because it's where the psalmist goes in verses four and five. They use, uh, they use two seasonal metaphors. Uh, one is of a desert and one is of planting. Notice in verse four of a picture on the screen. Like restore our fortunes, O Lord, like water courses in the Negev. I want you to take a look at this picture on, on the screen. This is the Negev. It's an actual place in Israel, in Southeast Israel, and it's a desert as you can see, right? Um, as, you, as the picture of the desert is on the screen, this is the Negev. This is the barren landscape that the author refers to in his poem. The writer is referring to the spring season when he says, restore our fortunes like water courses through the Negev, because in the spring, the dry riverbeds that you can see there are filled with fresh spring water. Water courses through those dry riverbeds and brings restoration a little bit to a dry and weary land. In fact, if you're there in the springtime, you'll notice that flowers start to spring up in the desert. Wildlife begins to scurry about. Life begins to sprout again. So the psalmist says, I want you to do that. I want you to take this and allow water to restore it. 
Maybe that image speaks to where you're at right now. The psalmist was there too. Uh, The psalmist gives us a second seasonal metaphor. He says this, may those who sow tears reap with shouts of joy. Uh, Sowing and reaping. Those are, as Lena teaches me, uh, agricultural metaphors, not a farmer. But they're also seasonal terms, right? The Psalms show us that there are seasons that are characterized as the sowing of tears. Many of us can attest to having deep, dark seasons of intense anguish and sorrow. That sometimes those seasons seem like they will never break. And the writer says, it's as if every tear you've cried, you've been sowing. Every tear you cry is a seed planted into the ground. And those tears can be a very slow process. There's almost a sense in the psalm that it's the tears that are watering the seeds. The metaphor kind of gets difficult there. The seeds are being planted and in due time they will be reaped in joy. In short, the psalmist says there's going to be transformation. You see, God is in the process of transforming everything, even the most dire and hopeless of situations. So again, where are you at this morning? If you had to take the psalm, would you say my life looks more like the first half of the psalm or the second half? What verse of the song are you singing today? Maybe you're saying, I'm celebrating God's restoration. Maybe you or a family member recovered from the COVID virus or another sickness, and you're just grateful to God that you've had restoration. Maybe you're celebrating something else, that even in the midst of the chaos, you found little glimpses of God's goodness in this season. Have you thought about sharing that good news with someone? Have you thought about telling somebody? Sometimes it's easy to tell our struggles, but harder to tell where we see God at work in our lives. I don't think it's a small thing to take time to share of God's grace in the season. In fact, as a church, we're moving obviously towards epiphany. And one of the traditions we have here at Redeemer is to share where God's goodness and grace has been evident in our lives. And now we typically share these in this room when we're gathered together. But out of wisdom, and taking the virus seriously, we, we decided to record these and to put them online and to use some digitally in our service. And we're also going to put some up on our blog. So I'd encourage you, if you have a story where you've seen God's restoration in this season, reach out to us. We'd love to record a video of that or to get you to write it down and to make that story more widely available. We need stories that remind us of the first half of the psalm that God is in the process of restorations. And some of us have experienced that. But maybe you're sitting here this morning and thinking my life is definitely more on that second half of the psalm. Uh, It's been a while since I've seen God's restoration. I'm in need of some restoration. And so what do we do when we haven't seen that happen? What if that second half of the psalm is our psalm right now? Can I encourage you that it's often in times of our need that God can do the greatest work in our lives. That it's often in those seasons when we can really lean into community, to the people that God has placed around us, that we can lean into the scriptures, that we can lean into the God who cares for us. 
And don't mishear this. I'm not saying this is an easy thing. It's not. In fact, it's really difficult. This is not a close our eyes and just, well, it'll get better someday. No, this is not that. This is a faith. This is a strong faith that looks around and has the audacity to cry out before God and to say, I need you to move again. Uh, Maybe this week there's an opportunity to be really honest with God. Maybe you actually sit down and you write out a prayer. Maybe you take the second half of, of this psalm and put in some blanks after the restore us again. Maybe it's the simple prayer of faith that says, God, will you restore? And you start to write out where God needs to move in your life. This might not happen overnight. This might not happen in a season. This might not even happen in our lifetimes. Restoration may or may not come, but God has promised to be with us. You see, we're not the only ones who faced need for rescue and restoration. Jesus did too. In fact, he teaches us something about waiting for restoration. I want to conclude this morning. Uh, There's a powerful moment in the Gospels. It's at the end. Jesus is in a garden. The garden is called Gethsemane. Maybe you remember the scene. It's right before Jesus is arrested. Uh, It says in Matthew uh, chapter 26, verses 37 through 38, notice Jesus' words. They're on the screen. Or Matthew says this. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then Jesus said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus was in deep anguish and sorrow about the coming days ahead of for him in his impending death. Jesus is in a garden in Jerusalem. How did Jesus get there? How did Jesus get to the garden of Gethsemane? Remember, everyone had to go up to Jerusalem. And I mentioned earlier that Jesus probably sang some of these songs of ascent as he went into the city at various stages in his life. Well, what song did he sing on his last ascent to Jerusalem? Maybe, what if just, what if, use our theological imaginations here, what if moments earlier, the words of Psalm 126 were in his heart and on his lips? Maybe in the garden, Jesus' mind drifted back to the song, the song on his journey. Maybe his mind drifted back to the words, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. As Jesus faced his death in deep sorrow and and, in tears, maybe he was reminded of the promises of God, that not even the tears of death would go unredeemed, that those tears in the garden were being sown in hope, that when he died, his body like a seed would be planted, and three days later, he would be reaped in resurrection, that though Jesus went out in tears, he would come home and joy. If God the Father can redeem and resurrect Jesus, he can do the same for you. Those tears are not wasted. They weren't wasted for Jesus, and they're not wasted for you. As we finish, we, we find ourselves in this difficult season with a virus on the loose, 
and we've all been looking for restoration. But what we're really waiting for is resurrection, the ultimate restoration of all things. You see, we're invited into this grand story of God's restoration of everything, of us, our families, our community, our planet, this world. And this is what we wait for in Advent. Advent is the cry of restore us again, O Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.